fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Dan, it is so great to arrive, not only on time, but in a single location instead of 12 different spots at the same time. I'm very excited to be here, just one of me in one spot. I love that as well, Denon. I know how mentally uh, shifted you can be. You're split up all over the place. Sometimes you feel like you're in 14 different locations all at the same time. But to have you here present is always a treat. Plus, it makes you so much easier to talk to when you are here (laughs) at the same time that I am. Uh, It's wonderful. And another guy who always seems to be in the right place at the right time. That's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, are you still orbiting the brain station this afternoon? Yeah, you know, Dan, from my perch here on the brain station, I'm seeing 12 identical craft arriving on the Earth. You know, Dan, this may be that real UFO moment you've been waiting for. Uh, You are right, Ben. It is the moment I have been waiting for, but I'm pretty prepared down here on Earth for that. And I bet you feel pretty proud of yourself that you're uh, flying above the Earth while these extraterrestrials come down and do God knows what uh, to the people of Earth. But... There is one advantage to being down here with us, and that is you get to hang out with our special guest this week, who is Culpin' a Pot. She is, of course, you probably know her if you're watching the show. She has a famous TikTok channel called Talk Nerdy to Me, and I'm not a particularly big fan of puns, Culpin' but I have to tell you, that is a fantastic name for a TikTok feed. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, guys. Anytime uh, I get invited to talk about sci-fi or anything space related, I'm there, even though it's 1025 in the morning on a Saturday, but you're welcome. (laughs) But also, I appreciate you acknowledging my uh, TikTok name. I have to say I hopped on early enough right after the pandemic, like everybody else. I was able to snatch that very creative name. And now I have Mm -hmm. impersonators, but I still have the best version of talk nerdy to me pun style. Uh, it, it's, it's great. Uh, I mean, if I like it, everyone's going to like it. That's for sure. I'm the toughest critic. Uh, but, you know, you also work at the Griffith Observatory, which is, you know, a great place to go if you want to learn about astronomy, whether you're young or old or anywhere in the middle. Uh, you teach them all. And, you know, I have to ask, you've been there a while. I'm sure you've gotten a chance to look into that fantastic telescope. You've seen all sorts of wonderful things throughout our universe. But the question I have to ask you is. Has anything looked back at you? That's a very good question. Nothing sentient that I've known has looked back at me, but we have seen some very cool celestial objects, Saturn, Jupiter, the moon, Orion Nebula, various star clusters. Mm -hmm. And although I felt a connection to them, I couldn't directly see eyes staring back at me. But it's only Mm -hmm. a matter of time before something arrives at the other end of that telescope to do so. It is true. I mean, so maybe not eyes, but any sensory organs at all? Have you? <laughs> That's true. We. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be so close-minded and just say eyes because right. things might be looking at me through other means. So, but I still haven't <laughs> sensed that just yet. Okay, that's fair enough. And you've done a great job. You know, we gave you the task of picking out a movie for us to discuss, and you chose The Arrival. 
what, what a great movie. Uh, you know, we were, when you gave it to us, and I mentioned it, we watched it, and we were really embarrassed that we haven't done this movie before, because it's just, it's got everything. You know, you've got languages, you've got yeah. the Earth, people of Earth coming together, you've got extraterrestrial invasions. Uh, what about it for you made it so special? Uh, I absolutely love this movie, saw it in theaters when it first came out, and I put it right up there with my other favorite sci-fi movie, Contact. It's just like right there. The only reason Contact scores higher is because it's a Carl Sagan film. <laughs> but in terms of quality of story, like Arrival to me was a 10 out of 10. I didn't find any holes. The mu music was absolutely fantastic. And even a movie like Interstellar, I tend to like the more grounded sci-fi stories, something that still somewhat takes place back on Earth, but, mm -hmm. you know, allows us to question how humanity would react if we ever encountered other life out there, which would be the greatest discovery in human history and mm. would answer all of our existential questions. So I really like those grounded sci-fi films that really speak to the heart. And Arrival was just amazing. And fun fact, I met Amy Adams at Griffith Observatory just out of sheer coincidence soon after mm. the film came out. So I had to I had to plug that in there. <laughs> uh, you didn't have to, but you definitely did. And we appreciate right. it. You know, uh, um, <laughs> I have to, trust me. I, have to. <laughs> you know, I just have to say, Dan, uh -huh. I'm impressed that, that our guest got a plug in before you did. <laughs> I know. Whoa. I know. I, I can't believe it. It's, it's, it is, it's truly beyond belief. Uh, and what else is beyond belief is you say that this will answer all of our existential questions. And I wonder if the indigenous people of, you know, what we now call America had those same questions when Christopher Columbus came over uh, and basically wiped them out. Uh, I think those are the existential questions that having extraterrestrials land on earth are going to answer. Uh, if I have to give my personal opinion. But I think I want to know what you guys think. The movie, the conceit of the movie is it starts out. Well, it's not the conceit, but the start, the, the first, the initial part of the movie is all of these gigantic jelly bean shaped craft land around the earth on various metropolitan areas across the globe. We know aliens are here. Uh, they're going to do something. We don't know what. And I'm curious, what are your first reactions? Denon, uh, I want to know what you're doing at this particular moment in time. Well, Dan, you know, they land and in a very sort of peaceful way, unlike things like Independence Day, where they hover menacingly or other arrivals where they start shooting at us right away. You know, right. they're out in fields. They're out. You know, they're not damaging buildings. Um, they're respe respectfully hovering just a little bit above the grass, but basically landing calmly. I take that as a sign of peace. I'm running to the nearest ship. I'm knocking on the door and I'm saying hi, welcoming them as neighbors, maybe bringing some chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, that's interesting because I grew up in a house of brothers and there's nothing that's more menacing than someone holding their fist or their finger a millimeter away from your face saying, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. So to me, being that close to the earth is might as well be saying we're here and this is our land now. Mm. Well, you know, that is the brother to brother thing. But remember, mm -hmm. that doesn't take into account gravity. These are landing and they're mm -hmm. just being respectful and not crushing the grass. Um, okay. You know how we, we really care about grass and our lawns here, particularly in America. Definitely. Um, so right. th they're aware of that and they're just being polite. Fair enough. OK, well, let's go. Ben, I'm curious what you think, because I know you live in a place without any grass at all. So we're taking <laughs> we're taking lawns out of the equation. What are you doing when these things show up on your doorstep? Yeah, there's there's only AstroTurf in my uh, courtyard here. Uh, <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, when I see these spaceships specifically, Dan, you, you said the bean. You know, I'm reminded of the Chicago Bean from your hometown, and clearly these are artists, these are uh, philosophers, these are aliens that come in peace because they're here 
in a beautiful art ship and they're here to spread their knowledge. I can tell right away. Um, and so I want to go up there, see, find out their inspiration and find out about all the other cultures and things that they've uh, visited. I think that that's the mark of a higher intelligence is art, right? I mean, that's how you mm -hmm. know uh, that they at least uh, forget the spaceships. If you appreciate art, if you can make something beautiful, as the great Doc Brown said, if you're going to travel through time, why don't we do it with a little style, which is the exact reason why he chose the DeLorean. That's what I think. Uh, <laughs> now, I would run in the exact opposite direction. I'm hard hardwired to listen to my the primitive DNA that has been honed over years of evolution. So if I see something like that, I'm, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I'm not going to walk on the next door and give them chocolate chips. But Kelpin, I'm curious what, what, what you think. These things show up. You've got the experience. You've looked up. You've probably seen them. They definitely know who you are. What are you doing when they show up? Um, they've definitely heard my TikToks at the very least, you know. Without question. <laughs> propagating without question. through the universe at the uh, speed of light right now. <laughs> yep. Um, and they appreciate how much I hate on flat earthers. But, you know, we'll avoid that topic for today. But I, my answer correlates with Michael's. I would be very excited. At this point, my thought process is if they were able to traverse the universe and end up here, Running isn't going to get me anywhere because they're going to find me anyway. So I might as well try the peace approach. <laughs> but I also agree. It's about the arrival. So when you see other films, like you mentioned, Independence Day or even I'm thinking War of the Worlds, they always mess with our weather and atmosphere. It's like a menacing entrance. But these guys literally just appeared. So they didn't mess with the clouds. There weren't any thunderstorms. There wasn't any fire in the sky. So I would also take that as a sign of peace. And I like sugar cookies. So that's what I would take them. <laughs> okay. Wow. I can I, respect I a good sugar cookie. I, I don't think I cookie. <laughs> This is why human beings are going to be so easy to take over. Everyone thinks they're <laughs> yeah. coming in peace. Uh, I'm going to live in my underground bunker. And if we've, you know, if if we look at if we use movies as proof, which we always do on this show, uh, the people who survive these types of invasions are the ones who become moles and live underground. So I feel like I've got a good chance. Whether or not I want to live in a post extraterrestrial world is another question. Uh, but I think I've got the best shot here. But I, you know, you bring up an interesting point. Like, what do what would these aliens look like? What is their home world? What type of physics kind of inform what they look like? And we see them in the show. Uh, in this movie, we do see gigantic. They kind of look like Thing from the Adams Family, uh, crossed with Cthulhu in a weird way. They're gigantic, elder, gaudy type creatures, long, spindly legs, running around shooting ink out of their their fingers or whatever you want, tentacle like hands. Uh, but this that's a very unique creature and. And that evolves under very specific physics. So, Denon, I'm curious, as our goat horn expert, uh, <laughs> what, what is it about the physics that makes it look the way it looks? Well, what's really cool about these is they grew clearly in some sort of fluid. We're not mm -hmm. really sure. Is it a dense gas or a light liquid? That's the beauty of physics. Um, we learn about these three phases, gas, liquid, solid, but as a physicist, gas and liquids are just fluids with different densities. Um, but all of these symmetries, all of these human, well, human um, creature designs, you mm -hmm. know, just come from the physics of growth and how instabilities occur. So you mentioned the horns. We've talked before on the show that you either get curling horns or branching horns. Um, in this case, you know, they're clearly growing tentacles. And the interesting physics is they end up with seven. And we right. don't see seven a lot. We see a lot of even numbers, bilateral symmetry. We see the mm -hmm. your favorite animal, the octopus with eight. That's true. Right. And yeah. so that's kind of a cool thing. You can look at that and say, ah, the fluid they're growing in has mm -hmm. some interesting properties that at some point in evolution made seven the number of tentacles that appeared. 
So that's exciting to me as a physicist to think about what's going on to get seven. Seven is an interesting number. That is true. I know, Ben, you were kind of held up on seven. Why it's seven and how that affects, you know, the, at least their mm-hmm. language. Yeah, well, I would think it affects a lot of things, you know, especially math, right? We, we have base 10 math pretty much because we have uh, 10 fingers. Uh, right. And so, so <laughs> I'm curious with these aliens, with the, the heptapods, you know, are they doing base seven because they have seven fingers per tentacle or are they doing... 14 because they use two tentacles to count or maybe they use all of them. Do they use base 49 and they're doing way better than us? Uh, you know, right. you know I, I'm really curious. I want to learn their math. I think is really what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, as math sounds absolutely wild. Uh, I, I mean, but Kelpin, is this what you imagined, you know, when you're staring off into space? Like, is this what you think they look like or how would you envision the, an extraterrestrial biologically I speaking? Think- yeah, I think my judgment's always been clouded by, you know, the UFOs and the little green men with giant heads. That's just my imagination was limited in they're that gray. degree. So that's, yeah. Oh, they're gray now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the 90s, now, they were green. Yeah, yeah. Well, and not, since uh, 1947, well, they've been gray. Yeah, Dan's convinced they landed, oh. really. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay, gotcha. So he's actually seen them. He can confirm the grayness of the... You know, I feel like green would work better here, though, speaking of grass, but but I suppose they'd be green in America and maybe gray everywhere else that (laughs) don't waste water on grass. (laughs) Uh, But I've always been... I've always had that thought in my mind, something that's somewhat humanoid, just because from a... From childhood, that's all I've ever seen when it comes to entertainment or mm-hmm. uh, people's real encounters with aliens. But I do like the the way they design these aliens or creatures. And I love the fact that symmetry is so a part of their everything, their existence, their language, the way they see time, their actual structure of the body. I, I love the details and the thought put into that. And the short film or the short story that this film is based on really emphasized that as well, which I thought they did in a really good job. It's interesting that you mentioned symmetry because I don't I think of this as being almost asymmetrical. I mean, that is a form <laughs> of symmetry. But when we think of creatures, we always look at bilo- bilateral symmetry thing. You know, that's what we how we mm-hmm. judge what beauty is. Right. The same thing on both sides, split down the middle from crown to foot, uh, for lack of a better definition. Uh, <laughs> but so this so these don't really have that level of symmetry because seven is an odd number. We do have trouble with it. And even as sure. Ben mentioned, they've got seven tentacles around seven Stocks? I don't know what they are. Are they arms? How do they legs? <laughs> who knows? Arms. Legs? Who knows what they are? Uh, so, so it's so that is interesting. But I think that th- their body type does influence their language, and this is what's kind of interesting about this: is they both have a sonic language, something that we hear, but also a visual language, which is fascinating, and they're unrelated. This I thought was was really interesting, and I'm curious, Denon. We talked about environment. How does their environment? kind of influence how they're going to communicate with each other. You know, what's really interesting, Dan, is you mentioned both the sound and the visual they're drawing. And that's tricky because we talked earlier about eyes and we don't actually see any eyes. So what fascinates me about having this ink drawing as a language is Mm -hmm. I wonder how they're detecting the ink drawing, right? You Mm -hmm. talk about the physics, what's their detection system? Ours is Mm -hmm. visual, um, Mm -hmm. but Fluids are really cool. You know, you can send vibrations easily through fluids. Having that ink as a denser structure, um, maybe it's sort of a dolphin-like thing, right? Mm. Where those noises are clicks and, you know, they seem unrelated to us, but that's how actually they're sending out sound, reflecting off their ink drawings. And that's how they're, quote, seeing the ink. 
Um, and that's why it seems disconnected. So maybe they're actually connected in a way we just never figured out. You mean they're using like echolocation to, exactly. to see what they're echolocation to read their okay. ink. That I, I that's I did not think about that um, wow. because well, I mean that's I mean it's a great I wasn't prepared for that then for that that moment of brilliance you got me stunned here you got, you got me speechless which is not at all that's not language at all right uh, you've got me anti language uh, so what's what I like about that is there it's a great way to solve that problem because when you think about our language. We our language looks like how we sound it out. Our sound and visual are, you know, they're inextricably tied. You cannot separate right. them at all. Uh, so, Ben, I, you know, I know that you love this stuff. Uh, when it mm -hmm. comes to the connection between sound and language, I mean, this is how we do it. How can they kind of switch it to the circles? Yeah, that's really interesting because we have, you know, most of the Western languages here um, are kind of sound-based, right? You, you know, mm -hmm. you use letters. Letters generally imply a specific sound. Obviously, there's exceptions that uh, most grade school students despise, but generally <laughs> right. speaking, that's right. how it works. But when you look at some of the other languages, specifically some of the Eastern languages, where it's more symbolic, mm -hmm. the the sounds and the, the what you write aren't necessarily correlated. You kind of just have to memorize what it all means. And right. so you could see that there might be something also similar going on with that with the alien language. Now, it seems that their sounds and their symbols are completely uncorrelated because they're not part of the same language at all. But it's right. kind of the same thing where, you know, a writing language doesn't a written language doesn't have to be sounded out. It can just be written like art. You right. Know? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're really hitting this art thing. I never thought of you as much of an artsy fartsy guy, but, yeah. uh, but <laughs> I like that you keep hitting this. Well, I mean, because I think it's such a foreign concept because then I look at the movie uh, and KP, I'm wondering what you thought about this. When you look at the movie and you, you hear sounds, but that's unrelated. Uh, what right. does that do for you? Because to me, that totally threw me. Why are they making noises at all? You know, especially if they if they can't hear it. We don't know if they can hear it. it let's say it isn't for echolocation. What, what, what are we doing here besides confusing the human race? Yeah, I wondered because I believe I read the short story first and then I watched the film back in the day when it came out. And in the short story, they did have eyes. And so I felt like this was just something to do for aesthetic purposes. It looked really cool and it allowed the audience to ask questions like this, like really delve into mm -hmm. the science of their language. Like, OK, well, if in the film they don't have eyes that we can see or maybe they're covered underneath something because they Skin. just don't need it to be at the surface for whatever reason, sure. um, then it allows, again, the audience to ask these questions that really delves into their language. Um, yeah, but I always thought the circularness of their written language is really cool. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, you know, in the Western world, one letter equals to one, like, very little sound. And in Eastern languages, you know, ethnically, my family's Indian, and I used to know how to read and write our language and I still probably kind of do, but then they are more <laughs> symbols and each uh. symbol itself is a multiple of letters. And I remember in this film, the circle of their language, each section of it was the same way. It's not like this was mm. A, this was B, like this was A, B, H, or actually no, each part was almost a word. And yeah. it Concept, was like, boy, yeah. yeah, you know, earth or human. And so the fact that this, this whole thing was a sentence, but each section was more of a larger symbol as opposed to an individual letter. I thought that was really cool. I, that to me correlated more to ancient and Eastern languages. So maybe mm -hmm. they had visited before. 
Mm. It's, it's an interesting thought, uh, but I mean, it, it raises a question, right? So I, there's the, the great Austrian philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein said, if a lion could talk, we would not be able to understand him, right? So before we get into the nitty gritty of how a language works, yeah. communication is the key here, right? And what that's what that that quote is really saying is that a lion's experience is so alien to us, you know, pardon the pun, right. uh, that we would not even be able to have any frame of reference to understand what their life was like. You know, it's kind of like today. Everyone thinks that their frame of reference is so unique. But in <laughs> truth, we're all human. So we all kind of I can understand each other. I can't understand a line. I don't know what they're talking about most of the time. It's mostly just roars to me. Uh, but but getting through that communication barrier, that is the quintessential part of language. And then, and I know you uh, as, as a professor of college, getting through to kids, young adults might be the most difficult task known to man. Uh, but you seem to do it on a daily basis. So how do you how do you get that communication barrier down? Well, First, what I do, Dan, is I don't teach kids and young adults. I teach college students. So I skip it's over. kind of the same thing. <laughs> it, it what about geniuses? But, but I will tell you, you know, you mentioned this, and it is a huge problem when you do things like, um, you know, you're teaching circular motion in physics, and you say, okay, now you're familiar with a record player, and it goes like this. There was mm -hmm. a window of time where the sentence, you're familiar with a record player, did not work <laughs> uh, because there yeah. were whole generations of college students who did not know what records were. When records mm -hmm. became cool again, Dan, teaching mm -hmm. got easier. Let's just say. Wow. <laughs> I, you know, it was my go-to cultural reference and tool for the first like five years of my career. That's about how long it lasted. <laughs> um, and then, <laughs> you know, then as soon as you have a CD player, you can't yeah. see the thing spinning. Yeah. And then as soon as you have an MP3 player, you don't have anything circular. <laughs> so. Right. I, I thought you were going to say you went to to wax cylinders first. I wasn't sure how far yeah. back you were going with these. No, references. no, no, just just records, just, just records. records. <laughs> okay, but it okay. goes to that heart of that experience does kind of guide the analogies you use, the metaphors, the symbols, what the words even mean. Um, yeah. And I will admit, I you know I have um, children. Um, they're okay. they're Thanks you know in that. their they're in their <laughs> you know early to mid twenties. And sure. I'm learning that a lot of English words that mean one thing apparently don't anymore. So <laughs> communication is all messed up. The word period has all sorts of meanings I just don't understand and don't think I ever will. Yeah, well, that's a funny one because period has that's probably five or six different meanings depending on who you are, where you are, what you're teaching, uh, even what gender you are. I mean, there's yeah. a whole bunch of definitions, no, which yeah. is fascinating. Exactly. Uh, and, and, I mean, even today, you know, if you say something slaps, uh, that means that it's good. It doesn't mean it's not domestic abuse anymore. It means that this is something we like to listen to, which throws someone, you know, like me off. I'm on the cusp of being old. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, and Ben told me that slaps isn't even popular anymore. So keeping up is very difficult. Right, Ben? Uh, absolutely, Dan. I'm always on the uh, got my finger on the pulse of society and know what all the cool words are at this point. Yeah. Well, you know, and so you, you mentioned records, Dennett. And one of the things I would be remiss is if we didn't talk about the Voyager Golden Record, which was sent out into uh, mm. into space uh, for some alien civilization to find and discover everything about about uh, our culture. And, you know, this was a record. I mean, this is right up your alley, Dennett. Uh, this is something you can understand. And the kids, the ki cool kids of the day knew what was going on here. Uh, but, you know, I I'm wondering what you think, Kalpana, uh, is 
as someone who enjoys outer space, do you what do you think about the golden record? And do you think we should have sent it out there for people, uh, other races, other species to be able to find us and know so much about us that they could convince us or at least the two of you that they come in peace? <laughs> uh, yes. OK, I know Stephen Hawking said that, you know, searching for intelligent life out there is probably a bad idea because just look mm -hmm. at the history of our human nature. Right. Either way, though, I don't care if we're meant to be wiped out, then it'll happen. So, <laughs> oh, my God, what are you doing? <laughs> I, just, I think that so to circle back again, another oh, pun, man. but flat earthers make me want aliens to be hostile. I think it's time to go. <laughs> Jeez. Wow, this took a weird... I didn't so, expect that. I, I do love that you have a grudge against flat earthers and you are putting yeah. it in it every... You're taking your shots. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I mean... Uh, so, Ben, let me ask you. Uh, yeah. A record is flat. Uh, it was mm -hmm. from Earth. That's right. uh, what do you think about what's on it? Uh, and how would the aliens even know how to play that record in the first place? You, you know, while it is flat, it is also round. So, you know, it's, <laughs> right. a, real, it's a real challenge when you think it about it. It certainly is. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's fascinating because there's some real serious engineering going on be, behind the, uh, the golden record because you have this problem of how do you teach somebody to play a record when they don't know anything about us? And mm -hmm. one side of the record is the, the, you know, the grooves we're used to with like the sounds of earth and some pictures and other stuff. But then mm -hmm. on the other side, there's all these diagrams about one, how to play the record. So there's, there's like a uh, code of like how fast you're supposed to spin it and how to design the <laughs> stylus and how to decode the pictures. Right. And, the, and there's imprints of the first couple of pictures. So there's like tests so you can see if you're doing it right. right. Um, is that true? But, they have yeah. like a, oh, that's so the great. The first couple of pictures are printed on the disc so the aliens can figure out if they did it right. Um, <laughs> but then I think worryingly for you, that. Dan, there's also yeah. directions for how to find us. That's um, what I thought. There, there's a map. I mean, there's, I don't there's know how a close literal the map. Is, map. But, uh, yeah. There's a the map. pulsars and our, our closest <laughs> pulsars and yeah. their periods and then the distance for each one to us. So you could not even triangulate, there's like 12 of, or 14 of them. So you can uh, really uh, very quickly figure out, oh, th this came from here. <laughs> I love that you snuck in a definition of period I did not expect. I know, that I was like pretty, that too. <laughs> that was pretty clever, Ben. <laughs> well done. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was pretty clever. I like, so I didn't. I don't think I realized that they had test images as well. So they know if they got it right. So basically, yes. basically like when you play Dark Side of the Moon and uh, Wizard of Oz, after the third lion roar, it's all lined up. They have some kind of equivalent of that on the golden record flying out into space. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's some test right. patterns in the first couple images that are also printed on the record. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, I, I mean, I, that, that's I like the concept of it. As you mentioned, I don't like them. I don't like anyone except people of Earth having directions to Earth. I know, Kelpin, you have a very different opinion. Uh, as a matter different. of fact, yeah, you, you welcome them with with open arms. You might be the one who survives. You know, is that kind of your goal is to endear yourself to, to any sort of extraterrestrial invader and therefore securing your place amongst them when they eventually take over the planet? I'd like to think that they would favor me, but um, probably to them, I'm not considered attractive. So I can't use that <laughs> towards my leverage as I do here on Earth. So, <laughs> um, uh -oh, so I'd right. like to try, but right. I don't expect I, it to go too well. <laughs> I think the advantage you have is they are probably equally against flat earthers um, because from their perspective, <laughs> it's clearly true. not flat. So I feel um, right. that that's your real advantage um, when they get here. Mm. 
As they say, you bond more with a common enemy than you do a common friend. So, you know, we find the things that we like because we hate the same things. So if you find that if you find that basis, then um, we can bond. So it just has to be our, you know, mutual dislike for conspiracy people. (laughs) So are you more of the enemy of my enemy as my friend or keep your friends close and your enemies even closer? I think it's the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Okay. Yeah. You don't so keep any flat earthers in, in, in around next door in the house. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I can't for my own mental health. I just, I can't do it. Right. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Uh, so I, I think that when we look at flat earth, okay, let, here's the segue into the logogram, which is a flat <laughs> earth shaped symbol that these heptapods, these creatures in this movie, that's what they use to communicate. This is a, a fantastic language, you know, uh, language barrier aside, this is an extraordinarily complex language. Then, as you mentioned, made out of some kind of ink, possibly with vibration, viscous liquid, uh, which is kind of cool. And you mentioned the 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 uh, the octopus, plurals, technically octopodes. Uh, you can check out my Fascinating Nouns episode on the strangeness of the English language. Of course, I'll put a link in the description. And the octopus is pretty cool because it shoots out ink in six very distinct patterns. And here, uh, there's more than six. It's a a very intricate pattern. How do you get that level of detail and nuance using uh, sonic technology, echolocation, or whatever you think that these seven tentacled creatures are using? Well, Dan, you know know me, I love my foam, I love physics, I love studying fluids, Mm -hmm. and I really think they're taking advantage of cool properties of fluids that create very, very distinct instabilities and patterns. Um, We see this all over the place. Um, If you flow a liquid in another liquid at the right speed, it always breaks up into similar sort of structures and patterns that are very precisely determined. And I think that's how, because it's hard to imagine how you would get control over fluid just by squirting it out like they do. They're not really drawing it, they squirt Mm -hmm. it. So I think these are physicists at the heart they're using the normal physics instabilities, and mm-hmm. that creates this rich variety of patterns. And it's, so it's varying the speed of the ink as you draw it. And then I actually think the echolocation is for then reading it back, reading it. not for making it. But you you could okay. actually possibly use the vibrations to draw it, but I'm, I'm going physics instabilities to draw, echolocation to read. Okay, uh, that makes sense. I mean, because one of the things they say that makes this language unique is that it's almost as if you took two hands and you drew a sentence from either side. It kind of came to the middle. There's right. there's no beginning or end. It's circular. Uh, besides being kind of a, a mind bender, it's also extraordinarily artistic. So, Ben, I know mm-hmm. that given your extraordinarily recent shine to <laughs> art that you've taken, uh, this language must at least aesthetically pleased you. Oh, absolutely. I think it's... I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's modern art as a language. It's it's fascinating mm-hmm. stuff in that you got all these like cool curly cues. You know, maybe <laughs> it's maybe you see antlers. You know, it's almost a Rorschach test in, in as a language. If you think about <laughs> kind it. of it, it kind uh, of. Is. Well, well th- that requires interpretation. And that would yeah. be anti what this does. This is very specific. But I like what you're saying. Well, visually. yes and no. But also. You know, while a Rorschach test is open to interpretation, mm-hmm. they they're using a computer to interpret the language. You know, it took mm. you know they had to teach like some sort of AI or something to look at these symbols and kind of correlate and figure out what do each of these segments mean. Um, mm-hmm. You know that that it, 
on its own is a complicated uh, task. I think so. Uh, you know, and it makes me think, you know, given the complexity of this language that seems to be conceptually based in segments and in, in 12, I think it's 12 bits, mm -hmm. 12 little segments across, uh, you know, Kalpana being the only person in this group who's had any exposure to reading, at least for real reading, uh, any kind of Eastern language or any language that's concept based. What did right. you think about this when you saw it? I mean, it feels way more complicated than anything that we have on earth, obviously, but if you were to stack a bunch of concepts together, I feel like if you put them side by side, put them in a circle, maybe this would be very similar to what we have going on here. Yeah, I found that interesting too. The way the AI or humans interpreted their language, um, as we mentioned earlier, each section of the circle was basically a word to us, yeah. might not necessarily be to them. And so we have such a strong uh, grammar requirement when it comes to languages on mm -hmm. earth, like, you know, mm -hmm. subject, I'm not even remembering anymore, verb, noun, all of that stuff has to <laughs> actually right. fit into a, a specific structure. And whether it's different in Eastern languages, that structure still has to be there. You can't form right. one sentence one way and then the next day do it differently. The people won't really understand. But what I liked about the circle, which kind of just makes you think of the as most basic of a language can be is just to convey a message like who ultimately cares about the grammar and the structure if you mm -hmm. know what they're trying to convey. So if let's say the circle said, mm -hmm. you know, uh, human, earth, arrival, weapon, they use that word a lot, uh, right. help, you kind of get the idea of what they're trying to say anyway. So we don't need to be so structurally concerned. You get the message and that's mm -hmm. ultimately all that matters. I think so. But it's interesting because maybe it's the British influence on the world. But, you know, in Britain, how you say something, uh, what you say, you know, language is a higher a social hierarchy. It has nothing to do with actual communication. Uh, but I wonder, uh, do you think that there's any of that in this movie that maybe these two creatures have some sort of hierarchy that you can tell by their language? Yeah, I would think within their own species, they they probably have a lot of grammar teachers and structural requirements as well as we do here, because you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more that as uh, a species evolves into something more intelligent, as does their language. And we put those requirements for uh, people to learn because it shows you how intelligent a being can be if they learn big words and ace their SATs. So I'm sure with any advanced civilization, they would have that same correlation because language is uh, fundamentally the most important thing, I, I believe, to a species survival. How do you mm. survive as a species as a whole if you cannot communicate with each other? Uh, I mean, that's a fair question. I mean, that's, that's a fantastic question that I can't answer. But what I can no, say... I can't either. <laughs> uh, you, well, and that's good. I mean, I think us thinking about it, there is no definite answer, right? Uh, but what I can say is what if we simplified language? I mean, there's some arguments that binary language, the language of computers is actually would be a much better universal language. It's specific. Uh, it's kind of without emotion. You, you can really get down to the nitty gritty. So, Ben, as someone who uses computer language natively as an Android, yes. what do you think <laughs> about that as a superior form of universal communication? You know, binary is great because it's really good at clearly showing what your data is. Um, mm -hmm. It's all it's ons and offs, ones and zeros. You know, if, if it's transmitted, it's very clear if there's, you know, a high or a low on your carrier wave. Um, that part of it's great. The problem is how do you interpret it? Um, mm -hmm. You know, here on Earth, we have 
all all sorts of different ways to interpret um, language. You know, I would say zero zero one one zero 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 one. Mm-hmm. And Dan, I know you know that that means one. That's the in number one encoding yeah, of, of binary. But mm-hmm. it could, it could also just be the number a number if in a different encoding. Sure. Um, and so you have all these problems of yes, binary is really great for um, storing data safely for a long term because it's so clear in its in what it is. But you know our binary isn't going to match what the aliens' binary is, and they're going to have to figure out how to interpret it. That's an interesting thought. I mean, so it's always about the decoding. It's always about yes. going from one to the other. I mean, whether you use Morse code or binary, you still need to know what the dots and dits and dashes mean is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah, this is why, Dan, mm-hmm. I really like pointing. I, I, Just you know, I mean, you physically like binary, pointing like with but your finger? I like physically <laughs> pointing and making gestures. Okay. And they do have tentacles and they can point and make gestures. So I do wonder how much gestures mm. are just kind of a fun way of doing stuff. Yeah, that might be truly universal, because one of the things I've that that I learned in another fascinating nonce episode that I did on the dog, the friendliness of dogs, is that because we've evolved so closely with canines over the years, they actually read our face. And if you point to something, they'll follow it. So often, if I drop something on the floor in the kitchen, I will point with my foot uh, to my dog, who's always watching me, and she will scamper over and eat the little piece of cheese or whatever I've fumbled onto the ground. Universal, right? Maybe, right. Denon, are, so you're saying that sign language might be something that's more universal than binary? Well, well you know, I think it's an interesting question, because once you start going all the way to sign language, you now have attached very specific meanings. Okay. Me- Right, to the different things. And I think that's the issue. I liked um, something, Kalpana, you said earlier about like the generic sense of the circle without the grammar mm-hmm. versus then moving to the grammar rules, right? I think there's those two stages. And I think these aliens are very smart. They're probably using the most basic, simple equivalent of gestures. Like, you yeah. know, I, I, I was once when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. On a train from Versailles to Paris. That's the most name dropping I can get. I don't know. I was, I was in Europe once. This sounds like a, this sounds like a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Nobody around me except my friend spoke English and I don't speak any other language except English. And it was very hot. And we had a very long conversation with all the strangers in the train pointing and gesturing about how hot it was. So mm-hmm. there is a certain amount of communication, I think, that gestures accomplish. I would say that's probably true. I mean, if you look back to the caveman days, right? I mean, Og and Grog, you know, they probably communicated over what chunk of meat they were going to eat uh, or, or what woman they were going to pull by the hair into the cave. It was, a, it was not a progressive time. And but I think that they pointed, grunted. This is early communication, but we've come much further than that. Denon. But you're saying the basis is all grunts and points. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, I think in this movie they start with that, right? Sure. Yeah. Right. The sounds. That's true. Yeah. Well, I think that's right. Yeah, and also with um, Amy Adams' character, Louise, when she's first trying to just express what human is and what her, her name is, she just goes up there and kind of does the chest pound and, you know, <laughs> says, you know, human, Louise, like that, like that's how, and that's how it works often when people meet uh on this planet, when you meet somebody who doesn't speak your language, you, you just kind of point to yourself and say, Ben, or what, you know, because what else are you going to do? Right. Uh, do you think so, Kalpana? I don't know if I agree with Ben, but you, you can disagree. With, you can agree with him before I disagree with him. 
We've, we've disagreed on a lot of stuff, Daniel. For instance, yeah. I'm welcoming the aliens. You're not. I agree in this instance. I think I love flat only, earthers. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. You love flat earthers. You probably are one. <laughs> Sorry. Not to insult you that way. But uh, okay. yeah, I actually, I do agree. I think the, the fundamental basis of all communication, in my opinion, is nonverbal. And I mean, even now mm-hmm. they say most communication, at least between humans, is nonverbal up to like 70 percent. Who and says so, that? You can't just throw that out there. You, we need facts. Who says that? And college, what are the percentages? I learned. Yeah, I like that. See, in, in college, communications yeah. class. You too. I don't know. I don't like this. You got to separate you two. Communication. Well, I mean, the thing is, I don't know how good of a companion you are to your woman but normally you can tell what she's feeling without her having to say anything right i would hope so at least <laughs> but that's nonverbal communication if she's kind of sitting there pouting you know you messed up because you did so but she didn't have to say anything it's just based on uh the expression of the person or let's say you know they do actually point to something i can point at this tree outside without having to say it and you know exactly what i'm referring to so the point being i do think right. that uh symbolic representation of language without actual sound is a very viable way to communicate on a very basic level. <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we do communicate nonverbally with everything around us, not just people, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I think, as I mentioned with dogs, they read our faces. Uh, the universal yeah. language, I would say, is love, guys. You know, uh, I think. <laughs> and I'm that, out. That, that, I think that, that's how that's empathy. Movie, uh, empathy, emotion is how you can right. communicate uh, universally. Uh, but one of the other things that's kind of yeah. interesting in this movie, you know, as you mentioned, you said your outcome on it, which tells me that, uh, you know, how your perspective is extraordinarily different than mine. And perspective <laughs> in this movie is everything, right? They make this very interesting point about language, which is the the perspective of the languages are kind of born out of a culture or an identity. And that kind of informs your entire perspective. If you learned your language based on chess, then everything you know, every reference point would be black, white, uh, attack, defend, win, lose, king, death, you know, that's how you would structure everything. You know, if you were born, you know, as an Inuit uh, up north, everything's structured around snow and cold. I mean, I don't even think it, there would be even words for warmth, uh, you know, I mean, because it's so difficult to find. Right. And yeah. and these concepts are, are when they're foreign to different cultures. And I think this is what's super interesting about this particular language and this particular concept. But I'm curious, Denon, what, what do you think uh, about that as an idea? Do you think that that works? Think it holds up? I think it does. And, and it goes to, you know, something I'm going to just go back to this lion comment you made earlier about we wouldn't mm-hmm. understand the lion. And yeah. when you said that, I was really thinking, um, who do we have more in common? An intelligent species that has figured out how to use tools, figured out math, figured out mm-hmm. science or a lion that hunts zebras. And I do mm-hmm. think, you know, we have more in common, ironically, with the intelligent alien. Um, okay. So I actually think our chances of understanding their language for exactly the reasons you just brought up, context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Like some of the context doesn't match. And we learn here time is a big one in this movie. That's the context mm-hmm. that's very right. different. Right. But the rest of the context, building tools, building machines, doing math, learning the physics of the universe, solving problems of space travel, there's oddly a lot of context that does overlap. And so I think that's it shows hmm. both where we align and where we disagree in our language with these creatures. Oh, that's interesting. So you're saying mm-hmm. we have more in common with something coming from outside of the earth than we do with the creatures we share earth with. 
In certain areas, yeah, certain I think areas. so. Because because of what we do that's so different than other animals. Okay. Um, what now? So Ben, what, what do you think about this? Um, about the concept of having your language inform how you think of the world, especially as it relates to this movie, where well, I'm going to get to where suddenly you can see through time because you suddenly yeah. look at language <laughs> differently. Do you think maybe that? I don't know if you know if that holds up. What about the first part of that? Let's go with the first part, then the second part later. Well, yeah, because obviously our our languages are informed by our societies. You know, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, the things, say, Americans talk about a lot is different than the things um, Germans talk about a lot or or uh, I think we both talk about the Kardashians quite a bit. So there might be some overlap. <laughs> you know, globally I, I don't know if they between. have multiple words for Kardashians and, and German like we do. <laughs> but surprised. Uh, <laughs> <You'd be> surprised. <laughs> uh, but, but it's also interesting because thinking about this, this on the world scale, like, you know, you mm-hmm. mentioned we might have more in uh, in we might have more in common with the aliens than we do with the lions, but I'm, I'm all, I'm also thinking maybe not, you know, (laughs) almost everything the lion thinks about is something we understand, right? It thinks about zebras and antelopes and gazelles and whatnot and, (laughs) and eating them. Uh, and generally speaking, humans generally speaking might think the same things or certainly know all the animals the lions are thinking about. Um, right. right. (laughs) You know, when you're talking about an alien, like, how are you going to talk about your your zoos? Like all our animals are different. Uh, you know, there, there's there's a lot of cultural things that are going to be so different that it, it's interesting to think about how much of our language is based on things that would probably be unique to Earth versus, um, you know, univer- truly universal and not just like, you know, universal like we think, uh, which means global. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Universal versus, yeah, that's what's something, as I mentioned, you know, I think the universal language is love. We all share that across the cosmos. Uh, but uh, global, that's interesting as well. Uh, what about you, KP? Uh, what do you think about this concept? Do you think that language does inform your perspective? Uh, has it informed yours? You know, you've, you speak two different languages, or at one point you did. Uh, uh, so does I that- speak. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, and understand. So, so does your mind um, shift when you go from one to the other? I mean, does everything about your references change or is it not that drastic? I don't think it's that drastic for me. I think maybe because I learned, so I, I know three cause I know Hindi as well. And then where my mm-hmm. family's from in India is a Southern language called Telugu. Hindi mm-hmm. is still something I'll, I can't claim that I'm an expert. I'd understand it if I ever watched Bollywood again, but uh, <laughs> it's not what I grew up learning necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Telugu and English is something I basically learned at the same time. So if okay. my, if I were to just hear my mom behind me talking on the phone right now in Telugu, it would translate as easily in my head as English does. Um, so I think actually, yeah, learning it at the at a very young age, first mm. of all, it wasn't something I had to learn later in life where I do believe I hear people say they have to go through the process of being like, it's a, it's quick, but then they still have to translate it into English in their head and then they understand it. For me, Telugu is as understandable as English is. It's weird. But um, I think it probably does inform you in the sense of your experiences. So for instance, yes, I'm bringing up flat earthers again, but to Mm. me, like the idea of, you know, thinking the earth is flat or that we're at the center of it. I hear all sorts of stuff on my TikTok, by the way, but I think (laughs) that's informed by a privileged standpoint. So we're in Mm. a first world country where you have the privilege and time to think of ridiculous things like this because you're not worried about (laughs) survival or from malaria. I think that your environment does influence the type of language that you consistently speak. 
because of <laughs> your level yeah. of need for survival. But I do like what Michael said. I think that's a really cool thought of like, do Who's we Michael? have more in common with uh right do we have more in common with aliens because uh we have the same goals as them so universally speaking i think that communication would actually be maybe easier than we think because we're essentially trying to do the same thing they're just better at it than us and then with the zebra or with the lion uh it comes back to what i said about your environment influencing your language that way because mm -hmm. yeah the lion understands what earth is what grass is what the this uh, um Serengeti is what zebras are and this is all stuff we know but in terms of goals I could see us being able to more understand the aliens that way sentient yeah. stuff yeah <laughs> I think that, that that makes a lot of sense I, I think we have a lot in common with both right I mean from cultural right. standpoint we probably have more in common with the aliens weirdly enough I do agree with you there Devin. Right. but I think there's something about being about being on earth that you can't know unless you live on Earth. You know, I mean, we say that about even regions of the world. Like, you can't know what right. it's like to be in Paris unless you live in Paris. Or I, I literally pulled that out of my keister. I don't know. Uh, but I think if you, <laughs> unless you're from Earth, you know, I think, you know, lions and humans would become fast friends if they were being threatened by something existential. And mm -hmm. there's common references. We all, you know, we came from the same stuff, right? I mean, we all share common bacterial ancestors, right? So <laughs> uh, I think there are touchstones on both. So I'm going to ride the line here. Normally yeah. I like to pick a side, but I think you I think everyone's right. And isn't that what we all want is for everyone to be right. Uh, so That's so here's it's the, a circle, Dan. That's it's, it's a circle. circle. It's circle. <laughs> so great. So, so let's finish up here with this I would say ridiculous concept that if you understand a language that transcends time, you then are able to shift your perspective to see time not as linear, but um, but but as all encompassing. You know, there's this famous Albert Einstein quote that uh, I just read that I'm sure you guys know before. I just happen to just read it. But it says, for us believing physicists, the distinction between past, present and future is an illusion albeit mm. a stubborn one. So <laughs> as human beings, we do see things linearly, but could you, Dennett, as our physics expert, as our time expert, as our relativity master, could you suddenly see everything differently and look through time if you just shifted your perspective, your paradigm, just a little bit? Well, my, my gut answer starts to be no, but then I have to stop and think. And, you know, Albert was a very smart guy. Um, and I have to take this quote kind of seriously. And, and I think it, what's interesting to me is it's more likely if you had a species that wasn't limited by time like we are, to develop mm -hmm. a language that reflects that, then mm -hmm. to have a language that you learn change your perspective. Except we do know mm -hmm. lots of things can influence the perspective of the brain, Dan. You can do lots of things that may not be completely legal and get a very different perspective yeah, <laughs> um, right. and experience. Um, and you can't, I mean, meditation can change your perspective. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not inconceivable that what parts of your brain you would have to use to understand this language could right. rewire your sensory experience in a different way. Um, okay. This is about as fringe as I get. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I just, I have to be honest and say, I can't rule Interesting. it out. Mm. Um, Interesting. Unlikely, okay. very, I can put it as a very low percentage, um, but it is true that time is this very weird thing and we have a weird perspective on it because of our biology. So that part is definitely true. Biology and perspective of time do go hand in hand. Doctor, I'm glad you brought up that because it's also quite possible that, you know, she goes into the smoke room 
uh, before mm-hmm. uh, she really <laughs> understands the language. So I actually know what, uh, what really got her over the, the final hump of understand, truly understanding the language. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> there are many vaporous substances that can open up your mind and expand it, I think is what, uh, what Ben's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I'm, you know, I, I love that you respected Albert Einstein's quote and that you feel comfortable enough to call him Albert. Uh, I feel comfortable <laughs> enough to call you KP. Uh, KP, you kind of disregarded another great mind Stephen Hawking uh, and said basically he was wrong we should invite the aliens here so what do you think about this perspective do you agree with Einstein uh, or are you going to throw him aside and blaze your own trail <laughs> no I do I do actually agree I mean again coming from an eastern culture uh, you know this is getting more away from at least science that we know of and more into the spirituality realm mm. but then you know you have like in Hinduism for instance which is what I grew up in uh, they always said that time was an illusion even in like the ancient texts not to mm-hmm. necessarily say that biologically speaking the way we are in human form can transcend that so then of course I would question like the theory and or what proved to be a true theory in this film about her brain getting rewired and transcending time. But Mm -hmm. uh, that idea has never escaped humanity, even from a long time ago. And in Eastern religions, where you think of the idea of reincarnation and, you know, human form is just a form, but the spirit underneath it is what's, again, universal, (laughs) even time wise. If you see that as your true entity, then, Mm -hmm. yeah, we have transcended time because I'll be back again to experience Earth or maybe even another place in the universe. Again, this is going away from any kind of science that we know of, but it is interesting to me that in ancient parts of the world, these were thoughts and beliefs that they've always had, which is why I do uh, give this movie a pass, even though to people it could seem kind of extreme that, oh, she learned a language in a few months and now she can see the future. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, these are concepts that we've thought about for millennia anyway. So if this is the way in something that is a bit more scientific because who's to say maybe it couldn't work uh then i think actually this would be the way to go as opposed to oh i achieved nirvana and now i'm immortal like why not let it be something like oh she learned this insane language from these beings that aren't affected by time cool i'll let that be the way that we can actually transcend it (laughs) interesting well i I, you know i'm surprised at your denon your and denon's answer but i like it and i'm going to root this in science for you guys uh, mm-hmm. I have an upcoming episode, God willing, with Russell Targ, uh, Fascinating Nouns. Den and you and I are going to be going to Contact in the Desert. We're doing shameless plugs all over the place here. Uh, <laughs> he's going to be there. So hopefully I can introduce you to him. But so for those who don't know, he was the, the he worked for the CIA and, and the CIA remote viewing program. And what he was able to use with science is to show how non-local our conscious can be. Meaning you can, with very simple exercises, go in anywhere with, within space or time. You can be aware of things across the globe. You can be aware of things in the past, present, and future. So there is way more science behind this than I think you realize or that anyone realizes. And so this makes me think it's possible. I, however, do not at all think it can happen with a language. <laughs> so I am not giving this movie a pass. This No way does this movie get a pass on that part. Uh, but I do think it's possible. It, it, it's definitely around there. But One thing we do is we have to pass off this show to another one. Uh, So we are going to, if you want to, you know, get in touch with us, if you want to have continue this conversation, it's easy to do. You can find the show on social media. We are on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We are on Facebook at FGGBT. But Denon, you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, to find me, just flip my name on most social media. It's at Denon Michael. 
um, because unlike Kaplan, I didn't get on early enough, and some Michael Mm -hmm. Denon out there took all of the Michael (laughs) Denons. I don't know how Uh, that happened. The flat earther. But on Facebook, they even took Denon Michael from me, so I'm Prof Denon Michael. You got to stick the Prof. So, you know, I was a little behind in time. If I'd learned this language and knew what was coming, I would have been way better off. You would have known. I mean, you got to go in early, right? I mean, you got you got to get like talk nerdy to me. You got to you got to be one of the first people there, Denon. Uh, yeah, you got you got scooped. What about you, Ben? Where can people find you? You know, luckily for me, I have a unique name, so I was able to get at B Seepser on all the major social media platforms. <laughs> that, that's wonderful. Uh, what about you, Kalpana? Where can people find you if they want to listen to your your thoughts about all kinds of things, whether it's this show, uh, whether it's about the arrival, whether it's about flat earthers or your disregard for famous physicists quotes? Uh, where can people find you? <laughs> um, so, as we mentioned, my uh, TikTok is where I do all my science content. It's talk nerdy to me, talk spelt T-O-K, not the traditional talk, because, you know, language can be interpreted however it wants. (laughs) And then because I also have a unique name that people struggle with, but it gives me an advantage because no one else on earth is named Kalpana Pot. So Mm -hmm. if you just typed in Kalpana Pot, even on Instagram, that's I'm the only one. Okay. (laughs) That's fantastic. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And you can find this show, of course, on every podcast platform, but also on FGGBT.com. And if you are listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And I want to just say before we close here, thank you, Kalpanov, so much for being on the show today. This has been so much fun, and I hope we do it again. You send us your movie suggestions because clearly we are not getting this right. This is a great pick. So thank you for that and for being on the show today. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a pleasure just talking about like-minded fun stuff. Uh, so I'd be happy to come back again. So audience who are listening, definitely do what they say about liking and subscribing, but also tell them that I should come back. Thank you. Uh, And of course, uh, you know, we try to teach you everything about science, but this stuff can be misused by those hell bent on world domination, such as an extraterrestrial threat from outer space. So you want to use this knowledge and do good with it. Remember, when given the choice, always choose superhero, never supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.